The Portfolio Podcast is a new editorial initiative from Media Group Private Limited, publisher of Portfolio Magazine. Hosted by yours truly, Mark Almagro, and featuring an array of guests, the Portfolio Podcast aims to examine current topics with some depth and vigor for the purpose of generating new insights and new threads for other conversations. The Portfolio Podcast airs every fortnight on the Portfolio website, www.portfoliomagsg.com and on platforms where you get your podcast. Please like, comment, subscribe, and share to become part of more illuminating conversations. I am with Susan St. Ledger, President, Worldwide Field Operations at Okta, a digital identity management provider. Susan, welcome to the Portfolio Podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's an honor to be here. And you're in town because recently you spoke at Women in Tech Roundtable on the topic, how should women prepare to take on new roles in tech? That is correct. We will discuss that definitely. And you also presented on behalf of Okta, a check to local nonprofit United Women Singapore, which supports STEM education for girls. Correct. They do an amazing job. Wonderful uh, advocacy for you. To those who don't know yet, Susan's career path is a case study on how women can break boundaries and take on new roles in their desired fields. Starting out as a software engineer at the U.S. uh, National Security Agency, fresh out of college, with a degree in computer science, and then you would go on to carve out a wildly successful career as sales and business leader at Sun Microsystems, Salesforce, and later on Splunk, where you grew the business from 700 million US dollars to 2.5 billion in revenue. Correct. Amazing, amazing. Now, my first question, of course, is, You're an advocate for STEM education for girls and women. Do we have reason for optimism? We definitely have reason for optimism. That's the short answer. Yes, it is. I think, you know, when I look at the opportunity that's out there, to me, it's really about exposure. And it's making sure that we expose girls at a much younger age. Mm -hmm. Um, so that they actually understand the opportunities that are out there for them. Now, I will agree with you because I'm looking at some statistics. Uh, This is according to the Boston Consulting Group and Infocom Media Development Authority of Singapore. Women account for just 32% of the tech workforce in Southeast Asia, but uh, I think Singapore is doing better with 41%. That's excellent. A notable gender gap also exists in Singapore's tech sector's leadership space, where only 27% of senior management and 12% of CEO or board level are women. Now, this is something that I will need your help to explain. The lack of gender diversity impedes companies from looking at problems from different perspectives and finding novel solutions to them. That's correct. You know, gender diversity also brings diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. And there are many statistics out there that show us today that companies that have gender diversity perform better. And so it's important for companies to understand it's a business imperative. And I think for so many years, it was almost a checkbox or it was the job of human resources mm-hmm. um, as opposed to people understanding that 
it actually helps companies perform better. But I think you 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 caught the bug, so to speak, early <laughs> because uh, you studied STEM. I mean, you 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 followed that course. Who influenced you, or or did you grow up in an environment, a home environment that uh, kind of like guided you along? So I grew up in a home environment that focused on education and learning. Mm-hmm. And so not necessarily STEM, not necessarily STEM. My mom was a nurse, mm-hmm. um, but my dad was a history teacher. And uh, I think what my father really instilled in me as a teacher, I always say that my father taught me to be a student for life and always be learning. Mm-hmm. And my mother taught me to be a student of life because I was a bit of a nerd and spent a lot of time on the books. Um, but I was also a competitive athlete. Um, and so my mother would say, it's not all about the books. It's also about life experiences. And so mm-hmm. that's why I like to say uh, between the two of them, they were such a great influence to te- teach me to be a student for life and a student of life. Meanwhile, the other girls your age were doing what? A lot of ballet, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Barbies. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a bit of a tomboy. I was my dad's third daughter. And so... I was a tomboy. I grew up playing sports. I asked you that because um, some people say children have natural aptitude towards something. Do you believe that? Did you have a natural aptitude uh, for, say, mathematics? Yes, I did. And I, I do believe there is a natural aptitude, but I also believe that there is still a gender bias that exists where teachers steer boys towards math and girls towards, you know, humanities or creative. Mm -hmm. And so um, I do think that kids have a natural aptitude. Most kids do for one area or another, but I think that anybody can develop, you know, all sides of their brain. It's, it's about learning how to learn so you can learn anything that you want. Mm. And that's, that's a good preparation for college and, and, and university, of course. Exactly. Now, what influenced your decision to pursue a STEM education? Uh, you have a degree in computer science. I do. Um, so I grew up in a very small town in the United States, in a, a state that's called Pennsylvania. And when, you, when I grew up and I was good at math and science, everybody said, you should be a doctor. Because engineering was not a known thing where I grew up. Uh It wasn't talked about. I had no idea what it was. Computer science was definitely not talked about. And so I actually went into university as a biology major thinking I was going to be a doctor. Uh And then when I got there, it was very clear to me that everybody else who was in pre-med was dying to be a doctor. And I just, I didn't have that. You didn't have that. I didn't have that. And I happened to take a computer science course and I loved it. And mm. I realized, oh, this is something I'm really, really interested in. Okay, take me back and tell me what was happening in computer science. What was the state? <laughs> where, where were you at? Yeah, so um, so we were, the good news is I never did punch cards. So I'm not that old, but I barely missed punch <laughs> cards. Um, so it was, you know, it was batch processing. It was, uh, you know, old systems like the VAX 11. Um, and we were learning, you know, Pascal. Um, mm, and, yes. and, you know, some of the early languages. Um, and so it was a very interesting time, but what I loved about it was the, just the level of analytical thinking and the, um, I, I just, I really think it, it appealed to my, my analytical brain. But was there a thought that I might have a career in this or what will I do after? It was a, it was a really big question. What would I do after? Because, you know, 
I'm obviously in Silicon Valley now in the United States, which mm -hmm. is fairly well known around the world for That's the right. technology heartbeat of the world. But it didn't exist back then, except for there were like some chip manufacturers, but software was not at the thing it is today. And so I had no idea what I was going to do with it. Mm. <laughs> and that's why I say, um, you know, Did it affect your, your, your determination to finish a degree in, in computer science? It didn't because I loved it. I loved what I was studying and I felt like, um, it was developing my mind. And, um, I certainly knew there were jobs out there, um, that, that I could easily, you know, get a job, but what I never could have imagined is the path that it took me down and, as you said, the wild journey that I've been on over the course of the last 30 plus years. <laughs> okay, this was, we're, we're talking about college now. Correct. Would you say that there was gender bias stacked against female uh, students pursuing STEM education? Definitely. Um, mm. And how was it manifested? So I, I, when I started in computer science, I think there were five five women in my class that were majoring in computer science. Of how many? How, um, how big was the class? Uh, there were probably, at the time, there were probably 80-some computer science majors. Um, it was a relatively small school, but still. Uh -huh. So it was, a, I would say, probably about five women. And I think only two of us actually stuck with the major and graduated computer science. And I remembered in the early days, my freshman year, I actually had a professor that told us that women generally change their major and don't finish computer science. Did he tell you the reason why? It, no, he just made it, he made it like a fact. Oh, and okay. He went so far as to say, and that includes my daughter. So it was really... And um, you were like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think it was the competitive side of me uh, that, that mm -hmm. really said I, that I believed I could do it. Okay. Now be honest. How well did you do in your STEM education? So I did very well in my STEM education. Um, in computer science, all of my computer science classes, I had a 4.0. So I had straight A's. Wow. Um, and overall, I had a, I was magna cum laude uh, across the board. Oh, so. there you go. But I was a you know I was a daughter of a teacher. I was I was a student. <laughs> okay. I, I studied yeah. hard. Yeah. I studied hard. Um, do you think the bias still persists today? I think, or, or has it improved? I think it's improved some. And I think um, part of the improvement is uh, exposing young women earlier. I also think just the nature of, you know, the world that girls are growing up in today, you know, they have to understand the digital world to some extent, whether it's, you know, their iPhone or gaming. Right. There's, there's some element that they're already exposed to that was not the case when mm. I was growing up. Um, so I do think that we are making strides, but we still have a long way to go. Mm. Now, after after school, you decided to pursue a career in 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 STEM. What motivated you? I don't know that I actually thought there was another path. Like I think when we graduated college, it was whatever you got your degree in, that's what you went and did. Okay. I think um, today it's it can be very different. And, and what I love so much about a STEM education today is when I look at the world of technology, there's a world out there I didn't even know existed, right? Mm. So you could go into marketing or product marketing. You That's could right. be an engineer or you could go into sales. and Or the academia. Or the academia, for sure. There's just so many paths. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is what is so uh, exhilarating about a STEM, a STEM education right now. Okay, I'll go back to the bias. When you joined the workforce, did you find it a bit more difficult 
for you because you, you're a woman joining the workforce? So I didn't really feel that very much. There was one funny story, which I will tell you. When I first interviewed with uh, Sun Microsystems, uh, the job was for pre-sales engineer, which is helping the salespeople sell. So technical people mm -hmm. who understand the technology who can help the salespeople sell. And I remember when I interviewed for the job, um, there was one salesperson I found out after the fact was the only person who voted against me. And the reason he said he voted against me was because I wouldn't be able to carry the hardware because it was going to be too heavy. Oh, okay. So, so there were definitely situations like that. Um, but for the most part, I didn't, I didn't feel a bias on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I will say is that years later I did discover, you know, that the gender, um, pay gap was real. So even though I was getting promoted ah, yes. and doing very well, what I didn't realize was that I was being paid less than my male counterparts. Well, if it's any consolation, I think that exists in several other spaces. It does. That women are, are not paid or supported or recognized. It, it does. As, as much as uh, the men, unfortunately. When you were at uh, Sun, right? Yes. Did you have a mentor? Yes, um, I, I had several. I had uh, one early on as an SE. Uh, Brad Curley was an SE director, and he's the one who really encouraged me to go into management mm -hmm. based upon the skills he had seen. And then I had a sales leader, Joe Mack, who was a great mentor. But my, I think the one, the one thing that became very fortunate for me was I had the opportunity to be the chief of staff for Scott McNeely, who was the CEO, and Ed Zander, who was the president. Mm -hmm. And so at a very early age in my career, you know, early to mid thirties, I got exposed to how the entire company was run. So yes. I would spend all of my time with one or the other, yeah. Ed or Scott, usually, most of the time Ed, because he was the main operator at the time, fly all over the world with him and see how the company was run. Mm -hmm. And that was an incredible advantage to my Which career. Which provided you with a breadth of experience. Otherwise you wouldn't have if you were in a certain, you know, a limited space. That's correct. I always tell people it's, you know, really important to understand all the dials of the business. Mm. And I think that was my first exposure to really understanding all the dials of the business and how a company is run. Now let's talk about your advocacy. Why do you advocate for STEM education among female students? Well, first of all, I didn't have that. I had no representation. There was nobody who looked like me when I was coming up mm. through through you know, the early days of my career. And I think representation is really, really important in order for people to believe that they can do something. Mm. So that's one. Um, but number two is we talked about the fact that the, uh, the gender diversity makes for better performing companies. And so you know, I really do believe that I've been incredibly fortunate and it's my way of giving back to make sure that women understand what the opportunity, young girls and women understand what the opportunities are. But also as a president of a company, my job mm. is to make that company as successful as possible. And I 100% believe that we're a better company mm. by being more gender diverse. I'll also add diversity overall. So underrepresented minorities as well. Okay. Now, how do you affect the diversity in, in your hiring policies, for example? So there are lots of things that we can do. Um, at Okta, I think we're very good at uh, casting a wider net, meaning if you really want to make sure that you increase your diversity numbers, you have to make sure that when you're having interviews that you're ensuring, even if you find a great 
you know, male candidate first, that you're not mm. just settling, that you're casting a wider net and making sure that the candidacy has representation. So that's one example. Another great example at Okta is that we do a lot of early and career investment in diversity. So early How is that done? Yeah, so um, internships is, is one example. Another example is um, there are sales programs that exist today, not just at Okta, but at other tech companies where you hire people right at your higher uh, young adults right out of college. And it doesn't matter what their major is, you can teach them how to be salespeople, right? And so they do inside sales first. And so they, you know, they learn how to work with salespeople and be inside salespeople. And you can take anybody out of college. And so it doesn't matter. That's where you actually have to capture the diversity. You have to really mm. try and increase your diversity numbers with early and career investments. And then the other thing I'll add to that is, you know, with COVID and the nature of remote work now and the fact that most companies, uh, especially in Silicon Valley, have embraced remote work now, that's yes. really helped the ability to get diversity as well, both for gender and underrepresented minorities, because you no longer have to be in Silicon Valley to advance your career the way that you used to have to be. Yeah. So I think all of those things contribute. Now, um, I just want to cite some some studies. For example, this one is a report from UNESCO. Mm -hmm. It's called Cracking the Code, Girls and Women's Education in STEM. And it says that only 35% of STEM students in higher education globally are women, and differences are observed within STEM disciplines. Only 3% of female students in higher education choose information and communication technologies, ICT studies. Now, of course, uh, I'm, I'm mentioning this because gender disparity is, of course, a concern. Correct. Given that STEM careers are often referred to as jobs of the future, driving innovation, social well-being, inclusive growth, and sustainable development. Now, STEM education, as we both know, does not necessarily translate to a STEM career. What can we do to encourage those who are looking at a career, maybe they're still in school or are just planning to, you know, move forward and, and, and over into STEM. Are there things that we can do? There are many things we can do, but... It, some of them we, you're already doing in Okta. Some of them we're already doing in Okta for sure, um, but I'll tie back to it. It comes back to exposure. I'm a big believer that your belief system comes from your experiences, right? So um, I'll, I'll try and use an analogy here. Um, the things that I start, that I learned when I was really young, I had a belief system that I could be really good at. I was really good at softball. I was really good at basketball. Yeah. I didn't learn how to ski until I was in my twenties. I never became a great skier. Right. And I think it's that same level of exposure. You're a team player. <laughs> there you go. I'm a team player. Um, but I think it's the level of exposure, right? Like you have so much more courage and confidence and you're such, you're more of a risk taker when you're young. And so mm. that's why the exposure to STEM in middle school and junior high, uh, I don't, is junior high the right, um, I don't know, that's what we call between middle school and high school yes, in the United I States, I don't know. also went through uh, the American system. Okay, so. great. So I want to make sure that that translates. So, so I think the exposure is really the most important thing, young exposure, because it gives people, it's, when we talked at the, um, 
the luncheon the other day the my where I did the the speech on um women in technology with the United Women United Women Singapore. Yes. Um they there are many statistics that say it's confidence that gets in the way of of young girls entering into mm. STEM. It's a confidence factor. They have to be able to see themselves in roles that are sometimes not the usual route for them to take. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Now, what advice would you give a female graduate who aspires to a STEM career? I think the advice I would give to any female graduate would be to be your own best advocate. Mm -hmm. Because I think that as women or as young girls, we're very often taught to be humble and to deflect praise. That's right. And I find it often, um, and I'm sure, I'm quite sure I did it myself early in my career, and it ties back to realizing Um, you know, the gender uh, pay gap and things of that nature that you really do have to be your own best advocate. And so uh, that would be what I always say to all women. And then to women entering into STEM on top of that, I would say, just know that one of the greatest things about entering into technology is that there are so many different experiences and so many different mm. paths, right? Almost every company is a technology company these days. That's right. So just because you go into STEM doesn't mean you have to work for a tech company. You can work for a retail company and create their consumer experience, right? Mm. You can work for a healthcare company Correct. in technology. And so I think to me, what technology does is it gives you so much optionality in terms of your career mm. and, and uh, opportunity. And especially after what we went through during the pandemic. I mean, everything now has to learn some tech skill. That's right. Digital transformation only got accelerated. Mm. And I think the I always say that the greatest example of that is that state and local governments started digitizing and they generally are the last to adopt technology. Mm. Absolutely. Now, talk to me about this. I'm very curious about high growth mindset and it comes up over and over when I, when I when I read about you. What yeah. is high growth mindset? So high growth mindset is something I adopted. I've all, if you look at my career, all of it's been at very high growth companies. One of the reasons I just came to Okta about a year and a half ago is because it's an incredible high growth company. And when, when you're at a high growth company, the thing that you have to understand is that there's no certainty. Like it, it's change is the only constant. And so I have three pillars for my high growth mindset. One is always be learning. Number two is continuous improvement. And what I mean by that is no matter how well you do something, and in, in tech, it's, you think, we think about things in terms of months and quarters and years. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how well you do, if you use hindsight and look back, you can always find things you could have improved. And so if you, if you build that muscle for continuous improvement, it just it leads to excellence and more and more excellence. And you might liken it to an Olympic swimmer, right? Michael Phelps, no matter how well he did, he wanted to beat his time. And his coach would help him figure out how to beat that time. And I think that's continuous improvement. And then lastly, it's being comfortable being uncomfortable. Because if you're in growth mode, you're going to be uncomfortable, right? Mm. Growing by definition means you're uncomfortable. And this mindset is something you can develop and carry with you. It is. It's it's definitely something I would say, I think I always had a high growth mindset, but when I worked for Mark Benioff at Salesforce, I think he took it to whole new levels. Hmm. He he always um, moved the bar on us no matter how well we did. And I think 
Um, I watched him do it not only with me, but with so many other executives who had very long careers at Salesforce. And I've been able to take that with me um, to Splunk and to Okta to really help others think about what a high growth mindset looks like mm. and make them understand uh, the possibilities. But how about those uh, people who are unable to to find themselves a spot in in good companies, big companies that encourage a high growth mindset? What what are their options? So I think there are many companies out there that are not high growth, and that's okay. Some people would prefer certainty, right? Mm. And and that's okay. I think there are, um, you know, if if a nine to five job and certainty where your job's going to be the same for the next 20 years is what you want. There are options for that. It's just, um, it's not the path for me. <laughs> okay. Now let's talk about uh, Okta and its efforts in promoting STEM education for females in Singapore. Tell us about your work with United Women Singapore. Is this, is this a new initiative? So we opened... Um, are, we entered into Singapore as a country, Okta did in uh, 2021. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, is when we started working with United Women Singapore. Um, we love the work that they do. As you say, they focus on STEM, but it's even beyond STEM. It's about women and the workforce and developing young leaders mm -hmm. and giving them the confidence. And we were just so impressed with the work that they do um, that we're continuing to invest in them and partner with them. Okay, so you, is there an existing program that you're now pursuing? So we, generally speaking, there's two things that we do. Um, obviously, we give them investments, as you called out earlier. We did a $50,000 right. USD investment. Um, but also, we have... Um, we have a Okta for Good is our, our, our uh, group within uh, Okta that focuses on nonprofit. But we ask everybody to participate, and every Okta employee gets 24 hours um, to, you know, to get pay, pay 24 hours of pay where they can go invest to give back mm. to the community. And so many of our uh, leaders invest in United Women Singapore, as well as there's a similar organization in Australia called ABCN, um, which does the same type of work. And we're deeply invested there as well with many mentors, mm. mentoring young women. So it's a combination of money and really giving back as a mentorship program. So, Susan, what is the big dream with STEM, your advocacy, and uh, Okta, of course? The big dream for me is, is to get at least to parity in very senior leadership roles within STEM. Um, as, you, as you called out, um, we've made some progress in STEM overall, but we still have a big void at, at the top. Mm -hmm. And at the CXO level. And I think that, you know, for me, one of the places where I spend a lot of time, particularly in the United States where I live, is mentoring women on their path to the C-suite. And I'm very proud mm -hmm. to say that I have quite a few mentees that are in the C-suite today that are women. And, um, you know, it's something that's a little bit harder to scale, but it's a dream that we can create that flywheel that every, you know, the, the women I teach, and, and help and mentor, then help the next generation of women. And so that, that really is the dream. And for the rest of us, can you give us some practical steps that we can take if we want to make this happen? Absolutely. Um, so I would say that anything you can do to help uh, younger, so middle schools, 
expo like investing and exposing uh, STEM programs to young women. That that's one that I think is is really tremendous. The second thing I would say is for all companies who have technology positions, um, do internships, encourage early in career. Don't assume that somebody needs a computer science degree. Um, if you find somebody who has a, a intellectual curiosity mm. and intellectual capacity, it can all be taught. And so I think we need to get out of the stereotype that you have to have gone to school for something in order to make a career of it. Well, Susan St. Ledger, thank you very much. It's been wonderful talking to you. Mark, it's been my pleasure. I, it's been an honor to be here. Thank you so much. This has been the Portfolio Podcast. It airs every fortnight on the Portfolio website, www.portfoliomagsg.com and on platforms where you get your podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share to become part of more illuminating conversations. Thank you for listening.